Thank you, Brother Morris, for making the announcements, and again, James, for coming along and singing to us. Returning back to the passage that we have read already in the meeting tonight, that's in 1 Corinthians and the chapter 15. 1 Corinthians and the chapter 15, and we're looking at verse 51 through to 57, essentially, 51 to 57. But we'll read 55 again. Famous words. You've probably heard them often read at a funeral, or maybe right at the graveside. O death, where is thy sting? O grief, where is thy victory? Those are words for the future. Because right now, death has an undoubted sting. And when it impacts your home and family, you'll only be too well aware of the sting that death carries. Grief at the moment has a victory, but there's coming a day when death will be swallowed up, as you see in the previous verse 54, death will be swallowed up in victory. And on that occasion, the cry will go out, where is thy sting? Where is thy victory? Because Christ has triumphed over both. And all of the fruit of His triumph will then be seen. We're talking tonight about death at its own funeral. Death at its own funeral. And that's what we have essentially in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 57. Let's, with the Word of God open before us, bow together, please, in a further word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, again, we bring before Thee those that have been bereaved in recent weeks the Rich family circle, the Hagen family circle, the Miller family circle. And Father, we pray that I will be gracious and good towards them. And in the middle of their loss, and as we have said, they will be feeling the sting. They will be so isolated. They will feel so abandoned. Their heart will be heavy to breaking. And Lord, we pray that Thou wilt manifest Thy presence as their helper, and as their hope, not only for time now, but for eternity hereafter. Do us good, answer prayers, speak to our hearts, all of us. We pray in Jesus' name and for God's eternal glory. Amen. In the book, it happened in Tennessee. There's a story about 74-year-old Felix Breezeel, the numerous Uncle Bush back then of Rowan County. You see, back in June of 1938, he commanded national attention. On a hot Sunday afternoon, what he did was he attended his own funeral. And he listened while the eulogy was delivered about him. 
Believe it or not, people had come from all over the nation for that event. It was hailed as the largest rural gathering that ever had occurred up until that point in the state of Tennessee. They scheduled the funeral. It was very highly publicized for 2 o'clock in the afternoon, but by 9 o'clock in the morning, more than 1,000 people had already gathered outside the small wooden Cave Creek Baptist Church near Kingston in Tennessee. And as the morning and the early afternoon wore on, you had cars and trucks and buses, and they continued to arrive, and they filled every available field in the vicinity and barnyard. By the time the funeral had begun, an estimated 8,000 people had assembled. Cars were double-parked along an narrow dirt road that led to the church, caused a terrible traffic jam to lead the arrival of the funeral procession for 40 minutes. And we've got the State Highway Patrol, and they're working to clear a path for that procession to make its way through. And all the time, stalls had an absolute field day selling cold drinks and sandwiches as everybody was there eagerly waiting their first glimpse of this living corpse. So the procession finally arrives, led by an undertaker, several press cars coming in behind. Then comes the hearse with the deceased seated beside the driver. In the back, there was a black walnut casket that Uncle Bush over the years had built for himself. The eager mob surged forward to look, and once again those officers are working frantically to clear away so that they can carry the empty coffin to its place. Uncle Bush that day, with his long white beard neatly combed, followed the pallbearers, sat beside the coffin as the service began. Gospel groups sang, coming in from Knoxville and Kingston and Chattanooga. Fred Berry of Knoxville sang a solo. Reverend Charles Jackson, a former pastor, had come in from Illinois to deliver the sermon. The whole thing got started years earlier. When Uncle Bush had begun making his own coffin, he never imagined it was going to get to the stage it did this day. And he told reporters back then that, as he termed it, bottom caskets are cheaply made, and I want a good one. And so he works over his coffin, and he thinks about the intended purpose. He's going to be inside it. And he begins to wonder, what will my funeral service be like? And soon he became overcome with this intense desire to see the service will be conducted in the right fashion, and the facts of his life will be properly set out. Local papers heard of the plan. They began to publicize them. And when people read about this strange event that this man had planned to take place, they wanted to have a part in it, come along and see it. An Oxford funeral home took the handmade coffin and they lined it. An Oxford businessman had him fitted out for a suit. Florists from Knoxville and Lenore City and Chattanooga donated floral arrangements. At the end of the service, Uncle Bush moved among the crowd, shaking hands, signing with an X, the order of services that had been printed for the occasion. After the service, he took his homemade coffin home, and in the weeks to come, he was in constant demand. It turned him into a bit of a celebrity. He rode in parades. He made personal appearances in theaters. He appeared on Ripley's, believe it or not, radio program. He was also featured in an illustrated article in Life magazine. On the 9th of February, 
1943, about five years later, Felix Brazil did die. At his request, only a song and a prayer were used at a simple graveside service, and he was led to rest in his original polished handmade coffin. Rather quirky, if you ask me. And how 8,000 people find this sham funeral interesting enough to travel many miles just to be there to witness it absolutely beats me. It could only happen in America, and it did happen in Tennessee. Now, you can plan your own funeral. And if you're weird enough, even try to go for a mock one, a sham one, and attend it like Uncle Bush. But as it came to his door, so it will come to you. Someday it will be the real thing. The Bible assures us in Hebrews 9 and verse 27, it is appointed unto man once to die. And I know there are many people there to try to push death to the back of their minds, to make it feel to them as if it's going to be a thousand years away or more, or way beyond what they need to worry about. They can joke about it, they can mock it, they can do whatever they want with it, but sooner or later, they are going to meet it. But tonight, while we will come across that territory, we're going to hit a higher note, and that higher note will be death at its own funeral. But first of all, we're speaking about the certainty of death. There was a woman of Tekoa. We read about her in the Bible in 2 Samuel 14 and 14. And what she said, well, she couldn't have spoken a truer word. For we must needs die. And are as water spilt on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. Let me give you some readily available but sobering statistics about mortality rates across the world, right up to the 2023 figures. Across our world, as I'm preaching here tonight, 1.93, almost two people die every second. Almost 116 per minute. 6,936 every hour, 166,466 every day, and practically the population of the United Kingdom, that amount, by the way it's 67 or so million, but just over 60 million, almost 61 million people across our world die each year. A rather odd fact is this. The time most people are most likely to die is 11 o'clock in the morning. I think of what Job 14 in verse 5 says. Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee, thou hast appointed his bounds 
that he cannot pass. Somebody has paraphrased that. And it's a common paraphrase. You'll have heard it many times. You'll not die before your time. That's what God is saying. His days are determined. The number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. The big issue is you and I don't know when that is. Quite clearly, our days are determined by God. The number of our months that we will live in this earth are known by Him. And He has set the boundaries, and those boundaries cannot be passed. There's a boundary in the future that signals the end of my life. Another one, the end of yours. I'll not live, and you won't either, a moment longer than what God has determined. We all have a definite appointment with death. Though it contains many references to death, in fact, 20, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that we've read from tonight is actually the great resurrection chapter of the Bible. Paul is telling us here, the believer in the future, he's waiting for a bodily resurrection of the dead. But he reminds us, and it's logical and sensible, that in verse 36, for example, before there can be a resurrection from the dead, there must first, of course, come death. Thou fool, it says, that which thou sowest is not quickened, made alive again, except to die. The word die that Paul is using there means literally to die off. The idea is this, that even at this moment in time, as I speak to you, you listen at the moment, we are in, all of us, we are in the process of dying. Can we argue with that? Yes, we'd love an elixir that would give us that great potion that guaranteed eternal youth. But nobody has found it, nobody will. No crease marks over our faces or brows. All of our teeth in perfect condition. Every hair in its original color. Every joint well lubricated and working at 100% maximum efficiency. We'd love that to be the case. But that's not how we feel and that's not what we see. As Henry Francis Light, the hymn writer who wrote Abide With Me, noted, change and decay. In all around I see, O thou who changes not, abide with me. Herbert Lockyer, an American preacher, said, as soon as we leave the cradle, we commence our funeral march to the grave. An English poet, Francis Carls, he that begins to live begins to die, he said. A German proverb, man begins to die before he is born. And that takes me into another more grisly area, of course. In four short years, more people have been murdered by abortion in Northern Ireland than the total death toll of people killed during 30 years of our troubles. When I say more people in the last four years, more is to tame a word. It's almost double the number. 
the troubles. 3,568 persons from 1969 to 1998. Abortions from March 2020 through to October of 2023, 6,924. As I said, almost double. Let me give you another couple of quotes. There is no sure thing in life but death. Doomsday. Sterling talks about that fatal sergeant, death, spares no degree. Another has said, this world's a city full of straying streets and death's a marketplace where each one meets. This is reality. Now, we don't want to face it, don't choose to talk about it or discuss it, but this is how it is. Death may come in a slow way. It might be, as we are saying with my mum at this moment in time, through a long and prolonged sickness. And every minute is an agony, and many of you will know what that is like. Death may come in a sudden way. For some, unexpected moment, no warning. I mean, only a couple of weeks ago we had those storms in the United Kingdom, people driving along, next thing, tree in the car, they're dead out into eternity. Not a bit of warning. I saw a headline flash up on my computer today. 43-year-old man died in Yorkshire having been hit by a taxi in the early hours of this morning be it a tree, be it a taxi, be it whatever. Sudden death, it often happens. People sometimes tell me, you know what, I have a plan, my plan is this. It mightn't be so streamlined as the way I'm putting it now, but here's my plan. As I lie on my deathbed, eking my life away, then, and only then, I'm going to turn and call upon the Lord and look for salvation. The man in the car when the tree fell did not have that luxury. The man taken out by the taxi who died instantly did not have that luxury. Many people don't. It can happen suddenly. It might happen in a strange way. Right through history, there have been some bizarre ways by which people have died. A Shilas, killed, really, by a turtle that fell on his head, dropped from the claws of a bald eagle. Marguerite died of laughter. Why? She saw a monkey struggle and try to put on again and again and again a pair of boots. Fabius, Roman praetor, choked to death because of a single hair, goat's hair, in the milk that he was drinking. And then, of course, famously, William III died when his horse stumbled over a molehill and those enemies of his, and there were not an insubstantial number of those, they saluted the mole as that gentleman in black velvet. Death might come slowly, might come suddenly, might be in a strange way, but sooner or later, Death is going to come knocking at your door. Death as an ever-running scream 
bears all her sons away. And as we have it described in 1 Corinthians 15 26, it is an enemy, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. It has been the enemy of every family, and I'm sure you have looked into its cold eyes, and you have seen an enemy there. It's taken out a loved one, shattered the family circle, been the enemy to many a husband, many a wife, parents and children, brothers and sisters, friends and family. It's invaded relationships in life and torn them apart. It's appeared without prejudice and shown no mercy to anybody. The certainty of death. But then I move to the cancellation of death. Not only the certainty of death, but the cancellation of death. Because I read in our Bible reading this evening, Paul, beginning in verse 51, he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. And I've always quite enjoyed reading mystery stories. You know, you begin with the classics and the children's work and Secret Seven and the Famous Five and then go on to the Hardy Boys and then Dino's where from there. But when Paul was speaking here of a mystery, he wasn't speaking about, oh, let's solve the murder on the Orient Express or find out who killed Roger Ackroyd. The word mystery that he uses here, I show you a mystery, it speaks of something that has been hidden in the past but is now revealed by God. So what is it? that's been hidden in the past, but is now revealed by God. There is an exemption from death. An exemption from death. Now we begin with Romans 5 and 12, which says, and there's no exemption here, death passed upon all men. Every single man born into this world was born under the sentence of death. Death was part of the penalty of sin. And since we all are sinners, all of us begin by being sentenced to die. No one is exempt. But Paul tells us there is an exemption to this sentence. And in 1 Corinthians 15 and 51, he tells us we shall not all Sleep. In other words, not everybody is going to die. There are going to be some, they will not experience death. Who are these that are not going to have to die? It's those believers who are still alive when our Lord Jesus comes again. And so I read in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain, those who are living with Christ, for Christ, when he comes, shall be caught up. Instead of dying, they shall all be changed, 1 Corinthians 15 and 51. So Paul is describing here this wonderful change that takes place through the resurrection of the body, but now he reveals there are some that will undergo the change without actually dying. And he's saying, death, your day is coming. Your power is going to run out. Your right over all of humanity will one day be cancelled. You've had up until now the right to take everybody who has lived in ages past. But there's a day coming when you will not touch or claim another victim. Up until now, there only have been two people in the history of the world to have slipped through the icy fingers of death. Enoch and Elijah. 
The Bible tells us about Enoch in Hebrews 11 and 5. He was translated that he shouldn't see death, taken right up to heaven. The Bible says of Elijah, 2 Kings 2, 11, that he went up by a whirlwind into heaven. But, and here's a reason to praise God, there's coming a day when a whole crowd of people will not see death. They will receive exemption like Enoch, like Elijah. And I don't know when my Lord is coming. So I can't tell you when the day is. Not only an exemption, there's also an escape from death or an exit from death. Paul says instead of dying, there are those who will escape death. How will they escape? Well, look at verse 52. The dead shall be raised, and the living, they shall be changed. Again, he's talking about the time when our Lord Jesus comes back to this earth, and when he comes back, the dead, already dead, they're going to be resurrected, their bodies raised out of the grave. Doesn't matter if they've been cremated. They're going to be brought all back together again. Those in the grave are going to be by the large part in dust as well. He will raise those bodies, those who were His. They'll come forward in glorified bodies, but those who are living at the time, no resurrection for them. They haven't died. They'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. They'll be changed. They'll be caught up. I'm not talking about a secret rapture, by the way. I don't believe in it. The Bible doesn't teach that. Paul tells us in the 52nd verse, it'll happen in a moment, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Do you know where we get our English word atom from this phrase that Paul is using here, in a moment? Atom, something that cannot be cut, cannot be divided. In Paul's day, this in a moment talked about the smallest fraction of time that you can think about. And he's saying that when Jesus comes again, there are those who are living as well as the dead. They're going to be changed, going to be raised up, going to be caught up, and it'll happen so quickly. You'll not be able to measure it. It's so fast. Unimaginable. Paul tells us not only does it happen in a moment, but in the twinkling of an eye that time, it takes you to throw a glance. Most people won't even notice. You might come into a room and just glance this way, and then you're focused straight there, or glance again, or even as I'm preaching, glance at somebody beside you, or somebody over to the right or left, just a glance, and you're back onto the main screen again, so to speak, so quickly. That's how this is going to happen. Then he uses a statement that really encourages my heart. It'll not only be in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, it'll happen at the same time, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound. Whenever I open the Bible, I find again and again that trumpets play a large role in the activities in the Bible. In Old Testament times, they got the trumpet out to bring the congregation together to announce that they're going to lift up the tabernacle. They're going to journey from camp to camp. It was an alarm or a notification. The trumpet again would sound. Whenever they had a feast, and there were many feasts in Israel, the trumpet would bloom. If they were having a sacrifice at the beginning of months, then again, the trumpet would sound out. It's not surprising then that Jesus says, when I'm coming again, I will use this trumpet to announce my return. 
And so I read in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. The phrase, the last trump, was a Roman military term. One trumpet sound, that was a signal to the soldiers, pack up your bags, your kit, and strike your tents. Another trumpet sounded, line up, ready to go. But then a third trumpet sounded, known as the last trump. And that's the signal now, pull out and begin to march. And one of these glorious days, we are going to hear the last trump. And it'll say to every believer, and I trust you're one of them, we are pulling out. Instead of dying, we'll escape death. Instead of an appointment with a grave, it'll be a rival in glory. It's why we sing in many times, again at funeral services, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and time shall be no more, and the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair, when the sea of the earth shall gather over on the other shore, and that roll is called up yonder, I'll be there, I'll be there, because my name's on the roll. And I trust your name's on the roll as well, is it? Is it? That's the vital searching issue. Will you be there? Death has had the right to lay claim on everybody for centuries of time, but one of these days, that right is going to be cancelled. There will be those when our Lord comes who will not have to die. And Paul says, death, let it be known, your right over all humanity will be abolished. So we come to our final point. The certainty of death, cancellation of death, the conquest of death. Death has been ruling the human race, sitting as the eventual victor, knowing, I will get you, I will take you over every person. Paul says, death, the day is coming when your rule is going to be conquered. You'll no longer be the victor. Christ is victorious over you. At beginning in verse 53, it's almost like Paul is taunting death. He does it with a prophetic word. In verse 53 and 54, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, won't die anymore, this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. The prophecy that we have a way back in Isaiah 25 and 8, he will swallow up death in victory. The Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces. The Lord hath spoken it. Paul saying, you've been ruling far too long, making everybody bow to your demands ultimately, but death, your day is coming. It's a prophetic word. It's a personal word as well. In verse 55, we have Paul, and he's taunting death by saying, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And the word sting there describes a bee's stinger. Paul is saying, death, one day your stinger is going to be pulled out. 
And I can see him as he looks down at a grave and he says, Grieve, you've claimed us all, you've held us all, you've swallowed us all, but one day is going to be given to you the defeat of all defeats. Death, your day is coming. In verse 56, the sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. He's telling us why death even exists. He reminds us the sting of death is sin. Sin is the reason why people die. Death gets its sting from the reality that we all are sinners. Then the strength of sin is the law. It's the law that reveals that we are sinners before God. Sin is revealed, proven by the law. But Paul adds in verse 57, But thanks be to God, who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The battle has been fought at Calvary. It has been won by Him. Secured by the crucified one, whatever him says, he hell in hell, led loam, made sin, he sin or through, bowed to the grave, destroyed its soul, and death by dying slew. So even death's days are numbered. The child of God, no reason to fear death. It may be cancelled, it may be here when Jesus comes, but it certainly will be conquered for him one day. But what about you if you're out of Christ, if you're unconverted, if you're not ready to meet God, not ready to die? What about you? Gothe, German poet and playwright, novelist, scientist, statesman, theater director, critic, we could go on. His famous last words were, More light, more light, more light, because he knew he's going into the darkness. But the Christian, what can the Christian say? He can say there's a light in the valley of death now for me, since Jesus came into my heart. And the streets of the city beyond, I can see since, and only since, Jesus came into my heart. In Christ, there is light. Without Him, there is only darkness, outer darkness, the blackness of darkness forever. What will it be for you?